Welcome to All McCartney, a podcast exploring the musical legacy of Paul McCartney, created by Paul's fans, for Paul's fans. My name is Amy. My name is Andy. And on this episode, we will be discussing our picks for Paul McCartney's musical gems of the 1980s. episode's topic was another great suggestion submitted to us from a listener. Thanks to Yoav Bachar for this topic idea. Yoav lives in Israel. And if you have a topic suggestion, you can reach us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at allmccartneypodcast at gmail.com. The 1980s for Paul are considered to be a tough period, I think, by most Paul aficionados, um, even a lot of casual fans of Paul, will I think look at that era and go, ooh, this is kind of a a rough period. And I think it's um, considered to be that way because of some inconsistency with his sound, with the output of his um, albums and and it can be seen by some experiments that didn't go so well, like Give My Regards to Broad Street. Um, this sort of um, need for Paul to be super commercial and be super slick and polished sounding. And um, throughout the 1980s, I think, you know, that that sort of attempt uh, falls on on ears of Paul McCartney fans as being kind of desperate and and not in, indicative of his best work. Um, if you look at interviews about with Paul at the time, he makes mention of the fact that he's trying to be very commercial. He's uh, picking uh, collaborators such as uh, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, who had massive commercial success in the 1980s, and he's collaborating with them and trying to also do you know, kind of real slick commercial songs, which up to that point hadn't really been his uh, strength, his forte. Is you know, and the Wings was about being a band, and it was about being earthy. I think to a lot, lot to a large degree. In the nineteen eighties, it was perhaps a reaction to that. Now that Wings is done and he's going in different directions, he's still trying to stay relevant, and. I think, you know, looking at this, when you look back on it, particularly, a lot of the songs don't age particularly well, um, especially Press to Play. They were very heavily produced, and they just are dated sounding. Um, he Also, he lacked people around him at that time that would challenge him or tell him no. And, of course, this changes at the end of the decade with Elvis Costello. But up to that point, um, throughout the 1980s, he's just, you know, there's no one really to kind of push back on him. And this happens at different times of his career, of course, and, but, but especially during the 80s, there's just no one to say no. And, um, and, and, that, and that you, you can hear it. Um, you've got Eric Stewart, uh, that, I, that by all accounts is, was a you know, g- you know, great uh, collaborator musically for Paul, and 
has a lot of talent and ability. However, was kind of you know frightened to challenge Paul and to and to work with him. They weren't equals, and um, of course this is a, a theme in his career that uh, after John Lennon, nobody was really his equal. Elvis filled this role briefly, but to the best of anyone's abilities in the 1980s. It's notable to, you know, to mention, I think, uh, that the death of John Lennon uh, to start the decade set the decade off in a, in a kind of a strange path. And that, you know, if you look at the 1970s, Paul enjoyed touring quite a bit. You get to the 1980s and Paul doesn't tour at all. Um, the basically the entire decade until 1989 to support Flowers in the Dirt. And this is in large part because of the fear and the death threats and the constant sort of, um, you know, living under the cloud of, of, of Lennon's death. This had taken a great toll on Paul and on the McCartneys and on just the whole view of how he was producing and, and releasing music and supporting music live during the 1980s. And it goes missed a lot because Paul was not one to really talk about those kinds of things and still isn't um, one to talk about those kinds of things. And so um, that pain and that sort of, um, you know, suffering gets missed. But that's really how the decade starts. Um, be that as it may, there is some phenomenal McCartney work in the 1980s, um, even maybe some of his best work in the 1980s. And despite the, the, the problems with never touring and never having people to challenge him and to say no um, and the overproduction, he, he's got, it's still Paul McCartney. So he still has the ability to write melodies like nobody else. And so we decided uh, to take a look at some of the lesser known Paul McCartney songs in the 1980s, some deeper cuts, some unreleased um, material. And here's the criteria. So uh, we've chosen songs that were recorded between the years 1980 and 19, to 1989. Some were written in the 1970s, and we'll discuss those as we get to them. We've chosen songs that are deeper album tracks and also a few unreleased songs. In other words, the lesser known songs from McCartney's catalog. For this reason, we're not including songs that are popular or commonly known, such as songs that were released as singles or songs that became hits. The first song on our list was the final song on the album McCartney 2, One of These Days. The song was written sometime in the late 1970s and released on the album McCartney 2 in May 1980. The McCartney 2 album features heavy use of synthesizers and experimental sound effects. However, one of these days is a standout track because it was written on acoustic guitar and therefore more like a typical McCartney ballad. In fact, the song harkens back to the simplistic sound of the songs that were written during the Beatles' tenure in India in 1968, such as the White Album's Mother Nature's Son and I Will. Further connecting one of these days to McCartney's past, its lyrics were inspired by Hindu philosophy after McCartney had an encounter with a Hare Krishna. McCartney sings about being present and appreciating the things in life that are commonly taken for granted. One of these days when my feet are on the ground I'm gonna look around and see 
what's right, see what's there, and breathe fresh air ever after. One of these days, when a job just takes too long, I'm gonna sing my song and see, see what's right, see what's there, and breathe fresh air ever after. It's there, it's round, it's to be found by you, by me. It's all we ever wanted to be. One of these days when we both are at our ease when you've got time to please yourself see what's right and see what's there and breathe fresh air It's there, it's round, it's to be found by you, by me. It's all we ever wanted to see. One of these days when my feet are on the ground I'm gonna look around and see see what's right and see what's there and breathe fresh air ever One of these days is just such a wonderful example again of McCartney's simple writing. So with McCartney, you're going to get either like a lot of chords and a lot of different intricate harmonic components working together. Um, there's a little bit of that in the bridge of this, but primarily it's a really simple song and it's refreshing to hear, particularly in the realm of McCartney's 80s music, which tends to be highly produced. Um, all the things we kind of mentioned before. Here we don't have that. We just have an acoustic guitar um, and vocals, and he's got he's got a capo on the first fret, and he's just sort of you know he's just playing these really simple you know chord chords basically throughout, and that's really the whole song, and that is where the genius is of um, of the song because you have the melody um, come through. 
you know it's really simple and so he's using a lot of restraint on this and when you look at especially the rest of the mccartney 2 album it's a gem because it's it's so simple and yet it wasn't a big hit and you don't hear this you know played on a lot of um kind of mccartney of of that era you're going to hear coming up and you're going to hear the singles and you're going to hear that kind of stuff playing but you're not going to really hear you know just really simple and so it does it does harken back to the 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 white album and you know that kind of stuff going on with paul's playing and on his acoustic guitar and he's also highlights the fact that he is just such a delightful acoustic guitar player to listen to his style is really refreshing on the acoustic and it sounds like the acoustic of the Maharishi days and not only not only McCartney's playing at the time but of course John Lennon's um, as well that finger picking kind of style on acoustic um, is just such a wonderful accompaniment uh, for this song and it's just a, a fun way to start off the set of slick 80s material with a very non-slick acoustic guitar driven McCartney classic. A large portion of Wing's 1977 album London Town had been recorded on a yacht in the Virgin Islands. The captain of the boat they were renting threatened to report the couple and the Wing's entourage to law enforcement because of their consumption of cannabis. The McCartneys agreed to leave that yacht and boarded another yacht called Wanderlust, which inspired McCartney to write a song about that particular experience. Paul said of the story behind the song, quote, It's actually a personal experience, the captain of the boat that we were on was a little sort of heavier than the other captains. We had a sort of argument with him, and we wanted to get off onto this other boat called Wanderlust, so it became like a symbol of freedom to me, this catamaran. We only stayed one night on it, but this boat was like freedom. Wanderlust was the eighth track on the album Tug of War, an album which featured many collaborations with and contributions from a variety of musicians. McCartney had wanted George Harrison to play guitar on Wanderlust. Paul and Linda, along with Denny Lane, went over to George's home to discuss the song with him, but instead of working on Wanderlust, the group instead contributed vocals to George's musical tribute to John Lennon all those years ago. McCartney said of that session, quote, We did our bit, but then, with one thing or another, George never got to do the guitar overdub for Wanderlust. McCartney's song Wanderlust was recorded between March to December of 1981 and released in April of 1982 on the album Tug of War. Wanderlust was also performed in McCartney's film Give My Regards to Broad Street, with Ringo Starr accompanying Paul on drums.
the grandeur of this song always struck me. And I, yeah, I think I'm first kind of aware of that when the brass come in and the brass like section comes in and then it's really evident that this is a George Martin production. And it's just because it sounds like so many other of Paul's songs in the past, the Beatles, where you'd have this really strong melody and a sort of cool chord movement. And then all of a sudden the melody is rep- is reprised by or reprised by a brass section and what who better to write that and arrange that than George Martin himself and it comes through so well in this piece and it's 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 makes it kind of a timeless 80s Paul number um it's it's kind of funny to think that such a, a grand song so you know a, a, the song has gravitas to it and it, there, here it is with like you know it's about not wanting to be on a you know boat where the captain's gonna you know narc them out <laughs> for their various like extracurricular activities in the boat it's just really funny to me that that's what the song is about because it just doesn't i wouldn't you'd never guess that had you not known the backstory to it um but it, it almost makes it that much more fun than to that that song is is what it is um it it just goes through some really nice chord movements he does this d a d g d and then just in typical McCartney fashion, again, where he could just repeat that those same chords again. At the very end, it goes to A, but then it leads it to the E minor. And it just has that wonderful movement that all great McCartney songs have with the chords, and in particular with that little switch around there. Um, and it goes through, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, there's, a, there's the story um, that Amy was telling me about how George Martin... Um, was producing it, but then you had George Harrison um, going to play guitar on it. I don't, I don't know that there's room uh, for a George Harrison guitar on on this. Either his slide guitar that he'd favor at the time, maybe, or another kind of guitar part. I, I just, it, it, I struggle to hear like a George uh, Harrison contribution on this uh, piece of music. Uh, so I think it's it's great how it is, and it just it stands the test of time with that George Martin production. Throughout his career, McCartney has discussed in interviews that the person he is when he's performing on stage or making public appearances is vastly different from the person he is in his private life. The next song on our list, The Sweetest Little Show, touches on this very topic as McCartney sings about public versus private personas. The song was written in July 1980, recorded at Air Studios London during the tug-of-war sessions of 1981, and featured on the follow-up to that album, Pipes of Peace, in October of 1983. Paul McCartney performs all of the instruments on the track, and it was produced by George Martin. Make them smile, make them smile 
that's really always stuck out to me with the sweetest little show is not really the songwriting itself although it's a catchy tune and and certainly the swing of the groove and the play the rhythmic play of the vocal is amazing the thing that's always struck me about this one is is the bass playing is just fantastic first of all the tone he's got is really edgy and kind of fun and also the way he plays it um is just digs in in a, in a way that is kind of, I think, unique for Paul. It's, it's, I mean, he plays great bass lines, of course, but this is kind of an uncharacteristically, like, kind of uh, just kind of digging in a little deeper kind of with this with this tone. And then it goes on further to have this um, amazing, intricate sort of part later with uh, these string parts, and it sounds like some synthesizer and it, uh, perhaps vocoder, sort of like mixed in with that sound it doesn't sound synthesized it sounds completely acoustic it almost sounds like strings like a like a pizzicato string section going on and this is all paul layering some things in the studio so this throwaway kind of um fun little ditty tune quickly turns into another mccartney heavy like cool um different uh, uh elements you know constructed very very carefully together then you've got this massive vocal cord with the acoustic guitar uh, sustained on one single note and i mean these are some pretty amazing moments that are created in the studio so again it's just kind of fun to me that there's this almost kind of throwaway tune almost whimsical kind of like swing kind of fun catchy pop tune with um with all these elements that are just bring it to a whole other level and I think that is what makes this a hidden gem. During the years 1984 to 1987, McCartney wrote and recorded a couple of albums worth of songs, some of which were eventually re-recorded and later featured on Flowers in the Dirt and Flaming Pie, and as B-sides of singles. However, many of the songs from that era remain unreleased to this day, although they have appeared on unofficial bootleg albums. One song created during this period was Lindiana, which had been recorded in 1984 and produced by David Foster, although McCartney was unhappy with the sessions with Foster and those sessions were ultimately aborted. There's little documentation regarding the origins of Lindiana. However, listening to the lyrics, it seems to be rather obviously about Linda. 
In the 1970s, when Linda was a member of Wings, she sacrificed a lot to be in Paul's band, most notably her photography career, not to mention time away from home due to Wings' touring schedule. After the demise of Wings in 1981, Linda's involvement in Paul's musical career became more casual. Paul spent nearly the entirety of the 1980s not touring or performing live, so Linda wasn't needed on stage, and occasionally she would contribute to her husband's recording sessions, but not anywhere to the degree of involvement she had during Wings. And so, during the 1980s, Linda had time to fully devote herself to home life and to pursue the interests that she had sacrificed for the sake of her husband's career. In Lindiana, Paul seems to be encouraging Linda to pursue her interest by stating in the song's lyrics, don't let go of your dreams, it's important to us. How much you got, how much you want to take It all depends on what you got And what's the cost, how much you want to pay It all depends on what it costs If I can be of help in matters such as Take a look
take a look Even though these sessions with uh, David Foster didn't, you know, produce as much as they'd hoped, or Paul had hoped, uh, perhaps, this is definitely one of the gems. I mean, it's it's also very fully realized. This isn't just some demo. This is a highly produced piece of music here that had a lot of time put into it. And what you're hearing is a lot of attention to detail and this wonderful vocal performance on it. The song is really strong, and it's just kind of amazing that it wasn't released, especially when it seems like, at least on the surface, that Paul was maybe struggling to have enough material to release in the 80s, a good material. And this is a strong song with very good uh, melodic content as well as harmonic. And uh, mostly it's in C-sharp minor, so it that's where that, that uh, whole keyboard intro is in. But then what's what's fun about that is it, it gets it gets you kind of in this vein and then and then and then it just goes to E and C sharp minor and E um, there's not really anything leading to the E it just goes right into it and it's a nice surprise it sort of just brightens up uh, the whole song and then the verses are you know around those chords so you got E major F sharp minor. B major and then back to the E. So in, in other words, like a little bit of a 2-5, which is a favorite progression of Paul, typically a jazz progression. And here it's not done in a jazz way. Um, you've got major chords instead of a dominant for the five and so on and so forth. But still the root movement is that 2-5-1 movement. And that gives it that Paul McCartney kind of sophistication um, that identifies so many of his songs. Um, the chorus is in R and B, uh, which is again no no surprise, like a you know a modulation within the key to B, so nothing too um, you know strange or unusual. And then these, and then of course they've got that nice sort of um, A minor to kind of bring it back to the to the C sharp minor. So it's a, you know we're in this right here. It's important to me. It's just like that's just a really uh, kind of a surprise, nice surprise chord. And it, it 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 brings it back to the um, to the verses, which is are 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 in uh, E major. So that, those kinds of little tricks and 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 curveballs and just keep it a, a, such a good Paul McCartney song. And again, it's just a surprise that he didn't release it something this strong. From the 1984 soundtrack to the film Give My Regards to Broad Street comes our next song, Not Such a Bad Boy. Similar to how it was depicted in the movie, Not Such a Bad Boy was recorded in a London warehouse in March of 1983. The track features Paul on bass, Dave Edmonds and Chris Spedding on guitars and backing vocals, Jody Linscott on percussion, Ringo Starr on drums, 
and Linda McCartney on keyboards and backing vocals. Not Such a Bad Boy is a noteworthy song from this era because it's a raw and straight-ahead rocker devoid of any super-slick production that became the hallmark of McCartney's music of the 1980s. love these stripped down rockers from Broad Street that Paul does because it's so different from all of the other 80s stuff that comes out. And even I think a lot of these hidden gems and and even all the non-hidden gems, all the singles that came out in the 80s that are fantastic songs, um, share a real uh, 
I guess, similarity with their production level of being really produced, very slick production. And this is just so refreshing to have, hear these rockers. There's not a lot of chords to this. As a matter of fact, there's really just five. Um, and, and it starts off just between uh, F sharp, you know, minor. I think the guitarist likes to throw on the nine on the top, but otherwise functionally it's just this back and forth. And then <laughs> that's it. And then E to A. And then there's a little turnaround, you know, to the chorus there. And so I think that what this is, is, is perhaps just like he's uh, bringing out in, in Broad Street, a lot of these old Beatle songs to re-record. He's got George Martin in the studio. He's got Ringo. Um, this is kind of a part of the nostalgia, too, is that let's just strip it down and do a couple of rockers with not a lot of chords, um, maybe in more in the vein of like Buddy Holly, just more just just classic rock style. And you've got Ringo on it, right? And you've got Ringo on it drumming without uh, kind of a filler. You don't have, um, you know, a studio drummer like Steve Gadd or Jim Keltner sitting right next to him also playing drums. And that stripped down sound that and the real simple approach that Ringo brings also kind of is refreshing from the 80s, you know, because you don't you don't hear a lot of that stuff from Paul from the 80s. You can hear Linda's vocals really clearly on this. But they're good. They're in tune. And it's also like a good kind of style for her to sing in. And I think all of this is just, again, it's the, it's it's reminiscent of, of certainly some of the Beatles' work, but I think even more so, it's it's reminiscent of some of Wing's early recordings where he's just trying to get back to basics and, and playing a band again. And so that's kind of fun to discover when you relook at McCartney's catalog in the 80s to see that there's some material here that is featuring just a, like a stripped-down rock ensemble. We just discussed how Not Such a Bad Boy is a unique song of McCartney's from the 1980s because it was recorded live and maintains a live feel to the listener without the slick 1980s production that had dated much of McCartney's music from the era. The same is true of its sister song, No Values, also from the film and soundtrack Give My Regards to Broad Street. And you wouldn't know from listening to it that No Values also shares a commonality with McCartney's classic Beatles song Yesterday in the fact that McCartney claims both songs came to him in a dream. Paul had a dream about seeing the Rolling Stones perform live, and they were performing the song that became No Values. When Paul woke up, he wrote the song from his memory. The song was originally intended to be for Wings, but McCartney instead saved it for himself for several years. Okay. One, two, one, two, three, four.
again in the midst of all of this overly produced um confusing uh broad street project uh we've got another fun loose rocker that has some energy to it and it's really refreshing again to hear that and uh, you know it's like almost like a pub sing-along it's so much fun with the no values refrain coming in there uh again you know no harmonic surprises but it's an effective song and it's, you know, if you look at Broad Street, you've got, you know, David Gilmore, you've got John Paul Jones, Ringo Starr, and George Martin, and all these people in such a confusing, non-sequitur kind of a project. And thank goodness for this not matching, right? So if there's, you've got the, all the re-recorded Beatles tracks, the re-recorded uh, Slee Love songs with Toto, um basically is is a backing band just needlessly reworked classics and then to have these there and at the time you know I'd be curious to know what what Paul thought of these these two tracks that are very similar on 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 the soundtrack um, because looking back they seem to have aged the best um, out of anything else on there and it's I think it's because of that nature and in in 
the fact that you can, you know, Ringo only half wants to be there, um, actually kind of makes it even that much more fun, <laughs> you know, that he's just kind of loose back there drumming and having fun as opposed to being really worried about how it's going to turn out and everything like that. And that's what makes the, that's what makes this so fun to hear all these years later um, is that loose laid back style and what it would be the case if that were to go on more with the the Broad Street stuff, I guess we'll never know. But uh, we're fortunate to have these tracks uh, on, 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 you know, to listen to all these years later. The first song written for the album that became pressed to play was the last song to be added to the album's lineup. Footprints was co-written with Eric Stewart, who was a frequent collaborator of McCartney's in the 1980s. Stewart traveled to McCartney's home for a writing session during a snowstorm, and the two men found the crisp whiteness of the fresh snowfall inspiring. The song idea evolved into a fictitious, lonely old man working outside in the winter weather, with the narrator, McCartney, observing the man and wondering about the details of the man's life. Footprints was recorded in 1985 at McCartney's Hog Hill studio and featured Paul on vocals, acoustic and Spanish guitars, bass, keyboards, and spinet, and Eric Stewart on electric guitar and synthesizer. Thank you. 
Just as the last couple tracks are about the absence of uh, production and, you know, extolling the values of the limited production, it's a bunch of guitars and bass and drums in a warehouse with mics and it's raw and it's great and that's why. And, and I think in the context of Broad Street, that's absolutely the case. Um, now, when you get to press to play, you get a producer, a new producer, and this is somebody that Paul sought out, you know, based on his work with the police and Phil Collins, and this is Hugh Padgham, and, you know, this is going to be quite a different deal. Um, evidently, George Martin was not available, and, you know, this this has some different implications for Press to Play. I think most of Press to Play, I would say that um, this production style is a little bit at odds with with Paul's work and that it doesn't always fit. Um, it's, you know, it's notable to mention as well that, you know, Hugh is not, Hugh Padgham is not only the producer, but he's also the engineer. And so his, he's got his fingerprints really all over this project from top to bottom, inside and out. It's, it's his sound with Paul's compositions. And this one, it really works. And I think it's because of that unique sound that he did create during the 1980s of that drum sound that he was able to get with both the police and Phil Collins, all these people they worked with. And it, it works here. Um, it also works here because of the nature of, I think, the harmony of the song. And, and what's kind of interesting about like the work of the police is that you get a lot of, you get a lot of really open spacey chords that ring out. Um, and in this case, you've got something similar with Paul's song where you've got um, a lot of A minor sevens and E minor, you know, back to C. And so it really kind of floats around those. Um, and then you've got a surprising kind of cadence to D. And those little kind of twists and turns in the song allow um, 
Padgham's production to kind of enter in and become a player or a part of the song. And so you don't have this thing where, you know, Paul brings in the song, he records it with his musicians, and maybe you have the producer, you know, recommending a certain mic placement or a certain arrangement or, or order of, of the song. Rather, you've got the, the producer really playing um, into the, the song, um, almost like another musician in the band um, and, and being really involved in it. In this case, it works really well and it makes it a standout on the Press to Play album. Here's a second unreleased track that's one of McCartney's gems from the 1980s, the bittersweet and delicate song Yvonne. Like the song Footprints, Yvonne was co-written with Eric Stewart and was also recorded during the Press to Play sessions. Yvonne is assumed to be about a fictitious female similar to Eleanor Rigby. In Yvonne, the narrator tells a story about a woman who broke his heart and then unexpectedly died, and the narrator regrets not having the opportunity to say goodbye to her. The song's co-writer, Eric Stewart, changed a few of the song's lyrics, and his band 10CC recorded a reggae-inspired version of Yvonne, which they retitled Yvonne's The One, for their 1995 album Mirror Mirror. unknown, McCartney's version of Yvonne was ultimately left off the album press to play, and the song has never been officially released.
song that really doesn't need any updating or covering or more production or any of the treatment that Tim CC puts to it. I think it's it's okay as a reggae song, but it's just so much better the way Paul does it on that unreleased version. And it makes you wonder, um, you know, other than the production style that Paul chose for that, why it didn't end up on Presto Play. Um, that certainly would make sense. It just doesn't match the sort of style of the rest of the song on the album. But it's just so wonderful and delightful and fresh to hear this. It's just this same kind of chord progression. There's no tricks here because it's just, um, uh, you know, one, six, two, five. So, you know, just the the same sort of chord progression that has been used since the beginning of time. Um, and Paul just puts a nice treatment on the top of it. It's just his vocal um, delivery on it is is beautiful. And um, it would be interesting to hear this remixed, remastered, re-released, uh, redone in, in, in the way that it should be done. And uh, to hear that because it's just such um, a sparkling gem in the 1980s for Paul. One of the most unusual songs of Paul McCartney's career is Distractions, which is found on his 1989 album Flowers in the Dirt. The song is unusual because of its subtle Latin jazz influence, which we'll discuss more in a minute. It was written in August 1987, and its subject is about feeling conflicted over what you're supposed to be doing versus what you want to be doing. McCartney explained the song as, quote, It's just someone wishing they could spend more time with their loved one. And you know, for me, that time it was about Linda. But people often say to me, who did you write this about? 
And even though then I would have been writing specifically about Linda because she was the object of my affection, I liked the idea that it could also be a sort of dream or romance. It could just be an ideal. We all love someone and wish we could spend more time with that someone. Romantic ideal. McCartney wanted the song to sound whimsical and romantic, and therefore believed a string arrangement would enhance that feeling. McCartney found inspiration in a rather unusual source. He had listened to the album released by the band called The Family. The Family was a side project by Prince, but yet despite its connection to Prince, The Family's self-titled album was a commercial flop when it was released in 1985. Tell me, baby, where did I go wrong? I could put my arms around every girl I see, but they only remind me of you. I went to the doctor, guess what he told me? McCartney heard the album by the family and was so struck by its string arrangements that he tracked down the musician responsible. That musician was Claire Fisher, who collaborated frequently with Prince for nearly 20 years and was also a renowned Latin pianist in his own right. Let's take a listen to Fisher's composition from 1980, Gaviota.
so, for distractions, McCartney enlisted Claire Fisher to compose the string arrangement. It's interesting that McCartney selected someone who is new to him, rather than someone familiar, such as George Martin. Distractions was recorded throughout 1988, and besides Claire Fisher's orchestration, the song features McCartney on vocals, bass, percussion, and acoustic guitar, Hamish Stewart on guitar and backing vocals, Chris Witten on drums and percussion, and Linda McCartney on backing vocals. What is this thing in life that persuades me to spend time away from you? If you can answer this, you can have the moon.
butterflies are buzzing round my head When I'm alone, I think of you And the things we do if we could only be through These distractions Like butterflies that buzzing round my head Of course, looking back on this song and the resulting string arrangement and comparing it with the, you know, the style of playing and arranging on his own material, on Prince's material, it makes a lot of sense that Paul would like Claire's uh, arranging on his tune. And, you know, I guess you could owe a lot to Paul for that. I mean, he's hearing this and the song Distractions is very different um, from the Prince's work with the family in which he's, you know, taking that work from. But given Paul's, you know, sonic imagination, his musical imagination and the way he hears melodies and chords and, you know, the way he's kind of putting those things together, you got to give him a lot of credit for for thinking of this in the first place, because, you know, given that that Prince recording, thinking really concrete about it, it just, the, Paul's music doesn't sound anything like that. It's a very different style, obviously, of singing, different style of um, composition, different style of writing, different style of melody, and it completely works. And I think it works for a number of different reasons. First of all, these surprising string flourishes that uh, Claire Fisher likes to write um, in his own work, in Prince's work, where just uh, surprising, strange parts of the measure of the of of the timing of of where that comes in, is is different than a lot of string arrangements. So a lot of string arrangements are are just what are known as like a bed, or they're playing what are called goose eggs, just held notes and just kind of, you know, filling in maybe a little bit, maybe a a, a melody. They'll put a melody or a fill at the end of a phrase or something like that. Whereas Claire Fisher's uh, string string arrangements tend to really kind of hold their own as another melodic force in the song. And it works well in distractions because there's a lot of space for that to happen. Um, There's the tight, close voicings that Claire uh, Fisher likes to use as well with the strings. And uh, he's got some nice clarinets in there as well. Where they're just uh, um, the notes are really close together, making it a really dissonant sound. Uh, these elements are just again well suited because of the Latin kind of bassa esque style of the song, um, and just that space, the major seven chords that he uses, uh, that Paul uses, going back and forth between G minor and B flat. Everything about it works well with the Claire Fisher, and um, you know, it's just it's just a beautiful arrangement and a, on a beautiful song. And I think even if the song didn't have it, it would still be a great song. But uh, Paul's kind of going on like genius level here of of creative, um, you know, hiring, if you will, and, and collaboration going to Claire Fisher with this arrangement. In 1987, Paul McCartney found another new collaborator, Elvis Costello and the two musicians wrote 15 songs together during their brief partnership. One of the songs that they wrote together, Veronica, became a hit for Costello in 1989 and was featured on his album titled Spike. 
Veronica was inspired by Costello's grandmother, who had lived with Alzheimer's. Is it all in that pretty little head of yours? What goes on in that place in the dark? Well, I used to know a girl, and I could have sworn that her name was Veronica. Well, she used to have a carefree mind of her own, and a delicate look in her eyes. Another song written by Costello and McCartney, That Day Is Done, was inspired by Costello's grandmother's death and funeral, and for that reason, Costello viewed That Day Is Done as the sequel to Veronica. I feel such sorrow, I feel such shame, I know I won't arrive on time, before whatever out there is gone. What can I do? That day is done. It's just a promise that I made. I said I walk in memory. Hearts gone in tears. I thought would flow. Despite That Day Is Done being so specific to Elvis Costello personally, it wasn't featured on any of his albums, but rather McCartney's album Flowers in the Dirt. The song was intended to sound like a New Orleans-style jazz funeral, which features brass instruments often walking or dancing in a roaming public procession. It's interesting to note that in the 1999 concert tribute to Linda McCartney, Here, There, and Everywhere, Elvis Costello performed this song in honor of Linda. As for the album version of That Day Is Done, it was recorded throughout 1988, and besides a horn section, the song featured McCartney on vocals and bass, Elvis Costello on backing vocals, Hamish Stewart and Robbie McIntosh on electric guitars, Nicky Hopkins on piano, Chris Whitten on drums, and producer Mitchell Froom on keyboards. I feel such sorrow, I feel such shame, I know I won't arrive on time Before whatever out there is gone What can I do? That day is done It's just a promise that I made I said Still in my heart, they'll never 
recall the time and place when they announced her precious face. I thought at once my heart would burst. Still, every time is like the first. There was a pause when she stepped up. Fitting for our last song that we look at a collaboration between Elvis Costello and Paul McCartney. Uh, it's notable that you know that in this tough period that still yields some good songs, as we see uh, that you know Paul's collaboration with Elvis is uh, one of the high points of his um, '80s work, and it's because of songs like this. And you know, I mean, Veronica is of course great, and uh, but in a very different way. A lot of the other songs that Paul and Elvis collaborate on in the 80s are very soulful tunes and these kind of like slower kind of uh, ballad. And and, and we remember uh, that Paul can really belt out a, a ballad and belt it out well and and just very artfully. And that that's that's what we see here. And and it's it's kind of pushing him to do that, pushing him to be edgy. Um, it's his foil, right? Elvis was his John for a while, and it really kind of digs him out of a rut. He just sounds so inspired on this track when he sings. And again, it's, it's nothing, you know, there's there's different styles of Paul, right? There's the tricky kind of sophisticated Paul, which you see on, on, on Flowers in the Dirt as well, you know, with distractions, with this kind of snaky sort of bassa. But on this song, it's just, just, it's just one, four, five, and just real simple slow kind of uh uh you know 
ballad. And he just knocks it out of the park on this one completely. And you can hear the change in his voice. You can hear the approach being a little bit more passion and there's a little more grit to it. And it's because of, um, you know, this, this wonderful musician, Elvis Costello, who Paul obviously respected and respects uh, a great deal, really pushing him to go to that next level. And so that's what makes this yet another hidden gem of the 1980s. Thanks as always to the Dave Allen Quintet for the show's original music. Please check out our website at allmccartneypodcast.com for resources pertaining to this episode. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. On Facebook, we're All McCartney, and follow us on Twitter at All McCartney Pod. My name is Amy. My name is Andy. Thanks for listening to All McCartney.